Hello, and welcome back to episode two of the Telcom Corner Cafe podcast. As we started off last week with our inaugural episode, we talked about fiber types and began talking about different cable types. Let's continue that conversation in episode two with cable types and designs. So in the inside plant world, traditionally your cables are connectorized. Versus in the outside plant world, traditionally your cables are spliced. It's just the difference between the two parts of the industry. Connectors are extremely reflective, and single mode systems do not like extremely reflective components in their systems. Because of that is why we pigtail splice our single mode strands of glass most commonly. That being said, there are single mode alternative options as far as pre-polished connectors, but single mode systems are generally not a big fan of additional loss, additional multiple points that loss can occur at, so splicing on pigtails has been by far the most popular solution for single mode fiber for quite some time now. Versus the multi-mode world. The multi-mode world traditionally has been connectorized. At a time, it was very common at one point to hand polish connectors. That has decreased over time, but is still by far some of the most secure of the options available to connectorize fibers directly with connectors. There is a whole series of pre-polished connectors that have evolved over the last literally three decades or more. The biggest issue with connectors is what fits the application and the environment that you're going to be terminating in. So potentially we're concerned about things such as heat and cold, we're concerned about vibration, we're concerned about cleanliness, we're concerned about even traffic. And I don't mean traffic necessarily on networks at the moment, although that'll certainly become a very popular discussion later on, but traffic as far as people walking by, people being able to get their hands into things, people being able to become part of the problem regarding the type of connectors that were used may not be stable or may not be physically secure enough to endure such impacts like that, which they shouldn't have to deal with, however, does happen in reality in telecom closets more often than most people think. So with that, let's talk about some of the types of cables that are very commonly connectorized and very commonly spliced. In the inside plant world, which again, people also like to call structured cabling, people like to call enterprise, premise, campus environment, local area network. One thing if you haven't discovered yet, if you're in the industry, is we love our acronyms. We live for acronyms. Probably, honestly, out of all the industries, we are in the top five for acronyms. The only ones probably on a par with us, or maybe even potentially could have more, is the military, is aviation, is the health sector. Those industries probably can at least rival us, but there are just more acronyms than you could possibly imagine. And it's one of the probably the greatest challenges for people to get used to is all those different acronyms. Sometimes of which there's nine or ten that mean the exact same thing. They've just come out generationally or through revisions of material and just keep evolving. But anyways. I'm getting sidetracked from the cable. So one of the most common cable types, if not by far the most common cable types and designs for the multi-mode world is what we call a distribution cable. It has a common jacket. It has normally Kevlar on the inside of it as its strength member. And it has a number of 900 micron coated fibers. And that's an important point and distinction to make. The 900 micron level, if you will, or the 900 micron coating size is considered to be the proper 
diameter or the proper coating level for direct connectorization with connectors. Some people will say you can put connectors on 250 micron coated fiber. Can you? Sure. You can never say never. Should you? Is a totally different scenario. And the answer is a resounding no. 250 micron coated fibers are not meant to be directly terminated. There's a strength and tolerance issue to vibration. There's a pull tension reduction. It's extremely risky. That being said, manufacturers love to offer any product for any solution that you could possibly need. So they are certainly available. If you consider though, most 250 micron coated fibers are of an outside plant nature. A lot of those cables traditionally have been gel filled and paste filled, which we'll come back to. So how well would a connector stay secured on a gel packed or paste packed cable? So back to the distribution cable. It is by far the most common cable used in the inside plant world, whether multi-mode or single mode. It has the ability to be properly connectorized. Also gives you the ability to be spliced if you deem that's the correct or the preferred way a customer would want something done. It takes up less room in your raceway, less space consumption, if you will. Which are funny numbers because there are actual numbers published by the IEEE, published in the National Electric Code, published in the National Electrical Safety Code for outside plant that specifies fill ratios of conduit. And yet it is probably one of the most trivialized, not followed standards and recommendations out of everything that we have. And it runs a tremendous risk if not followed properly because you can damage cables. Cables that were operational suddenly aren't. New cables being put in into an overly stuffed conduit can and have their own problems from not working to being intermittent issues to creating all kinds of bend radius issues. The list is endless. But the distribution cable for multi-mode fiber has become the most popular for its flexibility, for its low consumption of space in conduits and raceways, for its ability to be jacketed with a variety of materials from polyvinyl chloride to being fire safety rated as a plenum rated version. There is also a riser rated version and there is a general rated version. As we touched on a little bit last week, those ratings determine or are based upon or are required based on the environment that you're installing it in. If it's going through any type of air return system, something that can carry a flame source or become an igniter, it needs to be plenum rated. If it's being installed in between floors, interstitial applications and things like that, it needs to be riser rated. If it's being put in a parking garage because that's normally or often a open architectural design, then general rated cables can be installed in those areas. A lot of those ratings came about not only from OSHA, but because of hazards and incidents in the past where there was actually loss of life. So that triggered a whole plethora of cable ratings, fire safety procedures, fire stopping, all kinds of things, which to date get updated, upgraded, and followed, unfortunately, not to the point that they necessarily should be, either because it would cause too much expense and people roll the dice or don't follow them appropriately. And that's not a good thing. Some of those people get caught. Some of those people take a little longer to get caught, but eventually things will come around. In addition to the distribution cable is its predecessor called the breakout cable. And the physical difference between the distribution cable, again, that has a common jacket, Kevlar, individually 900 micron coated fibers. The breakout cable has individual jackets and Kevlar in addition to those individual 900 micron coated fibers. So 
So a breakout cable, again, consisting of an outer jacket. Kevlar is a common strength member for that as well. Now surrounds each one of those 900 micron coated fibers with Kevlar and a jacket. And that jacket could be anything from a 1.6 millimeter, 2 millimeter, or 3 millimeter jacketing. And it's a soft, pliable jacketing. So it reminds a lot of people about, or similar to, a bunch of patch cords that are stuffed under a common jacket. It's a more robust cable. Why would you want that versus a distribution cable? Well, you might want and need the extra protection that it offers. Perhaps your application is not permanent. You may be rolling it out. The cable's contained on a spool. The application is a field-based application that's temporary. That cable meets that necessity and need. Your cable may be in a warehouse. Your cable may be in a industrial chemical application. Your cable might be in a application such as a garage, like a mechanics garage, maybe that works on heavy equipment and things like that. But you have a durability need that that cable will meet the requirements of that distribution cable will not. But like everything else, there's a give and take. Whereas the distribution cable takes up very little space in a conduit or interduct, the breakout cable takes up a lot more. It's a lot more thicker in circumference, if you will. So that's the give and take. If your concern is durability and potential risk of damage in a high traffic area, breakout cables may be your selection. If you're going to place the cable, it's not going to be in a dangerous area, won't even probably even be touched once it's placed, and it's in a nice controlled environment, distribution cable is the way to go. But both of those cables are your traditional inside plant, which is also commonly the multi-mode world, cable choices, and normally are connectorized. Again, either one of them though, should somebody want to splice those, absolutely is an available option, but they are traditionally connectorized. Now, that type of connector that we'll get into in a couple episodes from here could be a multitude of both styles styles and methods of how it actually bonds to or gets installed on those fibers. Now, in the outside plant world, generally many more applications, generally many more environments to deal with. The materials in the outside plant world are designed, just like all the safety ratings and materials we were talking about designed for the inside plant world, also have their design characteristics for a reason. And in the outside plant world, you're dealing with environmental issues. You're dealing with UV sun rays. You're dealing with dry rot. You're dealing with mold, moisture. Much colder temperatures, hopefully, than anybody's calm closet inside of a building will ever see. If that's a problem in the inside world, you probably have issues before you worry about cable type because you obviously have some significant problems in the structure of the building. But in the outside plant world, rain, snow, wind, chafing, and chafing and vibration is of equal concern as if not more concern in a lot of cases and applications. The chafing and vibration can be just as hazardous to cables as temperatures can be, high or low, it doesn't matter. So for that reason, in the outside plant cable world, the particular blend is most commonly a polyethylene. There are polyurethane options available, but polyethylene is a good durable material that has a long lasting lifespan in the outside plant world. In the outside plant world cables, they can be single layer jacketed, they can be dual layer jacketed, they can have armor inside the cables, which we'll define here more in a moment. They could be stainless steel wrapped in the case of OPGW, which is a utilities grade and chosen cable for their applications. 
In addition to the jacket, you also have a water blocking tape, again to help should there be puncture to the outer jacket, the sealability of that outer jacket as the water or moisture reaches that inner wrap tape, turns to a gel and seals the outer jacket, so it seals puncture resistancy. Below that, we have some binder strings designed both from a color coding perspective and containment of the loose tubes inside the cable, which is the most popular type of design for outside plant cable when you're dealing with simplex fibers. Those loose tubes could be gel filled, again, providing not only puncture resistance and sealability to the loose tube, but also for the cables to be able to float, contract and expand, if you will, during those temperature changes of either high or low. They can be paste-filled, which we talked about briefly last week. A newer version of the gel-filled cable, easier to remove, more of a citrus base, and saves time during the installation. From there, we also have a dry-pack cable. Think of it as basically a powdery substance that literally when you open up the buffer tube, it's as easy as shaking it off. It was designed to even save more installation time, but that being said, the advantage of the installation savings and time is met with the challenge of, because it's not a moist gel to begin with or paste it doesn't automatically provide the benefit that those do of controlling an expansion during temperature increases or decreases allowing the fibers to float and decreasing the stress on them now of course if the cable does take on moisture will that powder turn to a gel and paste yes it will so it provides that function and feature but it doesn't automatically provide that fiber within that buffer tube the ability to float and reduce the stress on it prior to the loose tube cable design which is the most popular today again, is the Unitube Central Core, or what AT&T called at one time because it was their design originally, Light Pack. The Central Tube or Unitube name kind of gives it away in the best way that a descriptive term can, meaning that you have one large tube that all the fibers are housed within. This cable was only available up to 96 strands of fiber, so you had eight groups of 12. You had a blue through a black group of buffer tubes. It's gel-filled option only and didn't stay around to become adopted with or adapted to the more recent paste and dry pack cables. The YouTube cable has kind of gone in the simplex fiber world by the wayside. It's not a commonly designed cable anymore. You can still get them, they're just not as common anymore. One of the reasons we moved away from that cable wasn't due to size, like the difference in the multi-mode inside plant cables were. It was more because of the installation and processes necessary to install it. Because there wasn't individual buffer tubes that you could bring up individual groups to the trays in the splice cases, you had to attach transfer tubing. That's an additional step. You had to attach heat shrink. That's an additional step. It took time. And because it doesn't have those colored buffer tubes, it has colored strings separating each group of 12 fibers within that cable. Which brings me to the point that we'll wrap up on on this particular episode. Most people will grab all the cables to remove the gel, pull them all straight together, and pull the gel off. Unfortunately, when you do that with this particular cable, you also mix up these binder strings that identify each individual group of 12. So now you could have up to 96 fibers all mixed together, wondering which blue through aqua go to which group. So with that particular cable, do half hitches with the cable and push it down to the base of the fibers where they come
come out of the unitube central tube design and do that with each group you're not trying to do a strength contest don't pull them really tight just tie them off with half hitches and separate those that way when you go ahead and then clean those you can clean the groups individually not risking the danger of mixing everything together so on that note we're going to conclude episode two with those four cable types this week and we will continue along the cable conversation in various episodes to come thanks again for tuning in i look forward to talking to you again in episode three have a wonderful week and weekend